To avoid waste in research, no new study should be done without a systematic review of existing evidence, so argue Hansland and colleagues in an analysis published on BMJ.com recently. I'm Duncan Jarvis, Multimedia Editor, and today I'm joined by Hans, who studied, taught and advocated for this for the last 20 years in his roles at uh, Bergen University College and the University of Southern Denmark. Hans, thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. It's a pleasure. It's been more than 20 years um, since the problem was highlighted. So why do you think we are still in a position where research happens without researchers taking the time to see what's already known about um, what they want to find out? Uh, specifically on that issue, I think the, the, the main problem is the tradition. The way I was taught as a, a researcher, I was, no one ever told me that I should be systematic in the way I used earlier studies. But everyone have told me I need to have references. That was very important. <laughs> But, but you know, they were talking about, don't put too many references. Use maybe the, the best one or the one with the most participants or the newest one, or, or maybe a Danish one. Uh, so so it's, it's really what we've been taught uh, was, was, uh, is one major reason, I think. And why have we been taught in that way, or why are we still... Uh, uh, supervising and recommending our PhD students today in that way, I think it is because the technology has been very, very poor. I, I mean, 30 years ago, it wasn't there at all. I mean, first time I was doing a systematic search, I was uh, given a, a huge book I could browse through, which, I mean, it, it would, I mean, it's impossible time-wise to to do anything reasonable with, with that. So uh, we have seen for the last um, 20 years, uh, 25 years with the digital revolution, it has the, the technology has changed enormously. But the tradition in the research um, uh, community haven't uh, followed up on that because no one actually have, have found ways to use that new technology. Mm. But so... I mean, why hasn't that tradition been overturned, though? Because as you say, the digital um, papers have been online for a long time. Uh, Cochrane have managed to do systematic reviews for a long yeah. time. Um, you know, whose fault is that? Is that down to the funders not requiring it beforehand? Um, do you think it's down to teaching? Maybe it's difficult I, or it's, it's outside someone's specialty when they're, uh, yeah. when they're teaching research in the first place? I think it, 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 it is actually surprising for a, a number of my colleagues that the consequences of not being systematic in the approach to uh, earlier studies is having those terrible effects as shown in some of the studies we have identified. So, so I think it's, it's really a matter of of acknowledging that without the systematic approach, you might uh, you might waste uh, your work will be waste. You will actually maybe uh, uh, put a patient in a situation where uh, his life or his health is at risk. And I don't think people have realized that. 
Mm. But I think if, uh, when you when you come to this of using earlier studies, there has there it's it's only so new, and that's why people have not learned it. And they don't know how to do it, and that's actually, to be honest, that's one of the challenges when we have. Um, as the EBR uh, network, uh, the evidence-based research network, have um, is trying to promote this idea, we are challenging with if with the question, how do you do? How do you really do it? So, so we are we are in a pros, process right now uh, where we actually is figuring out, uh, you know, really uh, to the details, how should we do that? So when I'm as you ask me about um, how do I teach my students, uh, both uh, the master students and the PhD student, uh, I, I, I do a lot of time telling them the importance of it. Uh, but I have really a challenge to, to say exactly, should you do a new systematic review? Uh, yes, one could say that's obvious that you should do that because should you waste three years of your PhD hmm. doing something completely redundant and, and unnecessary. On the other hand, um, maybe should you use uh, three years to make two systematic reviews? Because in some cases, it's, it's that difficult to do the systematic review. So that's really a challenge. I mean, as a, someone who's supervising PhD and master's students and has to advise on this, how do you um, practically you know, navigate that, that tension? Uh, first of all, I think if you, if you look at a PhD student, a PhD student shouldn't do his or her uh, project in a vacuum. It should be in an environment where, where you have both seniors and postdocs and maybe master students and, 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 and you have an environment uh, looking at the the issues within this content area you're working with, with a research group leader being responsible for trying to not um, preparing for a new PhD without having this kind of, of a systematic knowledge of already performed uh, research. Yeah, that's interesting. So uh, you opened your um, paper with a quote saying, um, Medical researchers may or may not see themselves as standing on the shoulders of giants, but it sounds like they should certainly at least stand on the shoulders of their peers. Um, yeah. Now, you've mentioned some of the, the digital tools that um, are being developed to aid systematic reviews. How close are we to having some sort of automated system getting away from that book that you, you mentioned earlier on? Very few of those software solution uh, is not yet automated. It's helping you to make sure you're not uh, missing uh, one uh, reference or one of the results, uh, the data from one study, but it's not looking through the, the included uh, results from the uh, literature search, for instance. But they are really working hard on it. And uh, I, I'm, I can say that Around the globe, there's a number of people uh, actually trying uh, their best to, to figure out how to do that. For instance, there is a, a, a small um, a tool who can help you prepare an abstract. Uh, so you can, you can have uh, 
So you have an automated, uh, created abstract uh, if you have delivered some information. And, and at the conference I just attended uh, last week, the Cochrane Colloquium uh, in uh, South Korea, there was someone uh, who told us that in Malaysia, uh, which are not having English as their first language, yeah. they use it, uh, this software to help them have the first draft of the abstract uh, uh, because they use this standard way of formulating sentences. So it's really, it's really a lot of people are working with that right now. And, and, uh, and this EBR network, we have participated together with other in, in trying to promote this approach. You know, when you're doing a systematic review today, it's like a paper for a project. Yep. You have a plan, you have a protocol, you collect the data, you uh, do the analysis and you write up the, the, the paper and submit it to a journal and so forth. Uh, and that's exactly the same with a systematic review, whether it is a Cochrane review or whether it is another review in another journal. But what they are actually, uh, the Cochrane have plan, plans to do is to do what they call a living systematic review, meaning that you have online uh, a systematic review, which is updated every month. With the latest kind of research that's yeah, been published. Yeah, so, so you, you, you actually update your search. You uh, go through the procedure and normally will normally there will either be one or maybe two papers or, or no, no papers this month, uh, this month uh, to go through. And then you can, of course, you have to evaluate the critical assessment of the quality of the risk of bias in the study and you have to extract the data. But if you have one study, it's, that's relatively easy to do, and you have already uh, the 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 frame the frame for the entire study is already there. So you simply uh, add on uh, the new results, and you will have a, a a new and a much more trustworthy results regarding this issue here. Great. So you mentioned uh, there the EBR network, um, which you're a part of. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about that project? What's uh, what's your aim and what you're trying to uh, to do? Yeah, the, the, we have realized that there was a problem, and we needed uh, to figure out how could we be evidence based. And everyone uh, agreed that we really need to promote uh, this way of doing research. So maybe it would be smart if we simply created a network uh, and uh, we could uh, establish a website, we could um, go to the different conferences, which we have done in the last two years. I don't, I, I think we have been at least 20 different places have been uh, having, you know, all presentations, workshops, uh, uh, open meetings, special sessions, whatever, uh, to uh, promote this thinking and, and approach. And, um, so, so now we are actually, uh, uh, you know, with the paper in BMJ, I think we have, in, in, in a way, been established, and now, now it is for real. Uh, now we really have some uh, a very good instrument, uh, a leverage to, to take us to the next step, because we have this this uh, paper in the BMJ about uh, towards the evidence-based research. You've been listening to Hanslund talk about 
the article Towards Evidence-Based Research, now available on thebmj.com. If you've enjoyed this and want to hear more, check out our archive on SoundCloud, or you can subscribe to the podcast via iTunes to make sure you don't miss out. Thanks for listening.